1: Welcome to the Hockey Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Charlie O'Connor from uh, Broad Street Hockey. Charlie, what's going on, man?
0: Hey, Dimitri. Thanks for having
1: me. Of course, man. Um, I'm going to have you on to uh, help me do a little deep dive on the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, it's it's always a, certainly an interesting team to follow from afar, and I'm sure being a fan of them and covering them on a daily basis is uh, is just as interesting. as a pretty wild ride. But... Um, I, <laughs> I wish we could just kinda of talk about Joel and Beat instead for forty minutes rather than focusing on the Flyers. I feel like that'd be a, a much more entertaining topic.
0: Definitely, definitely. And it's it's been it's been fun to watch uh watch a guy like that, especially with just how, how ridiculous the Sixers, um ridiculously bad the Sixers were, obviously, intentionally for so long and to finally see the roots of, of the process has been has been a blast. Philadelphia's been going crazy over the guy, understandably so.
1: Well, before we get to the Flyers, like I am kinda of curious what sort of the general sentiment or feeling was about Sam Hankey in Philly I mean like obviously sort of the progression from when he first took over and sort of started doing this process quote-unquote to the around the time he actually got fired and then to now where we can actually see this vision that he had all along kind of playing out on the court like is there people that were that were trashing him for a while there that are now kind of just like you know not good, feeling bad about everything they said about him or like what, what's sort of the the feeling in Philly right now with that
0: you're definitely seeing more people sort of grudgingly admit that he might have been on to something. Um, but most of them still say that, you know, he, even though he was right on Embiid, that the team never would be in this position if he was still there because they wouldn't have gotten players. Like There's a lot of people that just don't like Hinkie because of the kind of the style that he... It wasn't even just the process, per se. It was more... Um, some of the ways that he, you know, didn't necessarily speak out to fans very much, and people thought he was this, uh, you know, guy in the ivory tower. Um, most of the people that, that I talk to, you know, love the guy mm-hmm. and, and love the process, um, and I'm not a huge basketball guy, but I, I obviously root for the Sixers. I want to see them succeed, and uh, it was it was neat to see someone try something new for once, uh, yes. and obviously he comes from an analytic analytical background, which is something that I'm, I'm going to, you know, inherently root for, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's been Neat. Uh, to me, the, the funniest thing is you have... Uh, you know, the big thing was trust the process. And right. That kind of became the rallying cry for all the hinky fans and um, all the hinky haters... You know, got to talk about how the process is ridiculous. It's so stupid, and then of course Joel Embiid takes the process as his nickname. <laughs> and you know, as long as he stays healthy, he's probably going to be the star of the team for the next you know ten plus years. And all of these hinky haters are going to have to be calling the star player the process because of of Sam Henke, and that just makes me smile.
1: Yeah, I mean, just yeah, he, he he's obviously. I mean, you're preaching the choir here. I think I think he's brilliant. I mean, just the sort of the stuff he put into motion is is stuff that I'm sure you, I, and countless other people like us have spent so much time kind of, you know, having beers, talking with their friends, how if they were running a team, how they'd approach it and how they do this sort of stuff, and then he was actually kind of getting to do it, and and, uh, we got to see, what you know, we're we're kind of seeing um, the vision he had in mind and, and reaping the rewards now, but I mean, it's also stuff that I've sort of pleaded with other NHL teams to do for years now, where it's like if you're not going anywhere fast anytime soon, like, you may as well bottom out because, especially while you're incentivized to do so by the system, right? I mean, it just kind of seems like a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, the big thing, I think, for a lot of people um, in Philly and, and outside of Philly was um the fact that it was just so brazen, you know, there are teams like the Lakers have been bad for what? Three, three years, three, four years. And no one seems to care because it's like they're, they're still trying to win. the Sixers just kind of threw a wrench in that because they were very open about the fact that they weren't trying to win. And the, the one thing I will say about, um, about people in Philly who were opposed to the process. And, and I get this to a degree, um, I liked the process. I, I really liked liked what Hinky was doing, but I, I you know I didn't watch the games. I wasn't like I wasn't sitting down and watching eighty two games a year. And mm-hmm. you know there are people that just want to watch the Sixers, and you know, they they know the team might not necessarily be great, but they want to enjoy themselves and watch a Sixers game. And they were the people who were getting frustrated because they were watching an awful product. And I get that to a degree. You know you do want to you know there's there's an, a, a very large element of sports of just you want to get enjoyment out of watching games. And I think that did drive some of the honest frustration just right. that they were watching an intentionally poor product. But at the same time, you looked at the way that the Sixers were structured after Iverson, and it was just they were in the muddled middle, and they were never going to get out unless they tried something like this. And now you have a Joel Embiid, and you hope he stays healthy, and if he stays healthy, you can build around him.
1: Well, and I also think it'd be kind of you know, foolish to suggest that a, a large part of the pushback against Hickey was just the fact that he was kind of— you know and. and for a back of a better term, like a quote-unquote analytics guy, right? Where it's like, yeah, we, we yeah. saw exactly what happened with the Florida Panthers this year, where it's like as soon as they got labeled as being an analytics team, whatever that even means, like, you know, all of these all of these old-school hockey people were like, oh, they're just not doing it the right way. Like, you know, they miss guys like Garrett Branson, but it's like you see teams do similar stuff all the time, but maybe they're just uh, more P- PR savvy about it, so no one's really kind of calling them out. Like, I mean, like, I haven't really seen any... You know, mainstream guys really bemoaning how the Colorado Avalanche are an absolute joke this year. And it's like they're bottoming yeah. out badly. But just because, you know, their GM is Joe Sackick and, and not some random, random guy who, who never played hockey before. Like people are just kind of just accepting it for what it is rather than freaking out about it.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree with you
1: um okay let's get let's get into the flyers um right now as we're recording this uh they are sitting in a second wild card spot and i think that you know heading into the year that's roughly where we all would have reasonably expected them to be i mean you kind of give or take a spot or two but i mean you know no one really saw cbj having this sort of year but i think most most rational people still would have had them somewhere behind the penguins capitals and possibly even the rangers on on most their projections so i think it's just funny that you know in typical flyers fashion they've gotten to the point we expected them to be but it's been in such an sort of uneven roundabout fashion where they had that early 10 game winning streak and then they really fell off and got absolutely walloped a few times heading into their bye week and you know it's it's kind of okay to just be like yeah they've had sort of the year we'd expect them to be in in, in on aggregate but just it's if you break it down into chunks it's been very kind of all over the place
0: it's it's been a bizarre season and i, I kind of chop up the season into to three sections you had the first little bit where the flyers like their underlying numbers were pretty good they were they were driving play uh, at five on five um then they were scoring a ton but the defense was breaking down regularly in the defensive zone, and the goaltenders were playing absolutely awful. So you were having a lot of, you know, 5 4 games, 6 5 games, uh, games that you probably would win if your goaltenders are playing anywhere near as well as they played last year. Then you had the 10 game winning streak where they they caught up they they jumped into you know a very good spot in the metropolitan and and the wild card but the underlying numbers weren't that strong they were they were winning a lot of close games and they were they were shooting at a high rate steve mason finally started playing well and they go on this win streak and then after that they they kind of carried over The, the luck the luck dried up they started losing games but then in january the the poor results have continued, Mm -hmm. but the underlying numbers have gotten a lot better. Like if, if you look at the, uh, all their underlying metrics in January, they're um, they're the second best. This was as of yesterday. I'm not sure if that changed due to games, but um, they were they're the second best score adjusted Corsi team in January in the NHL behind Boston. They're third best, I believe, in expected goals. They've generated the most shot attempts of any team uh, per sixty on the power play. Like the underlying numbers in January are very good. It's mm-hmm. just that they're not they're not winning, and that's primarily because they're not their shooting percentage is ultra low, and the goalies again are are. are struggling so it's a bizarre year because you're right if you look at the season as a whole this is kind of where you'd expect them to be maybe a little bit lower than than fans had hoped but it's just been the 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 process in which they they've gotten there that's been so bizarre and it's it's turned into kind of a roller coaster of a season
1: so i noticed something when i was looking at their uh their, their shot metrics where you know there's somewhere between 50 and 51 percent in terms of you know sh- shot attempts unblocked shot attempts shots on goal but then when you look at something like scoring chances for example they dip all the way down to to 46 percent is that something that just kind of one of these weird statistical aberrations and it'll probably even out or, or kind of regress back closer to 50 percent or is there something uh with regards to the system or the style that they're playing that it's lending itself to to that being kind of so far off from from what their actual shots are like
0: i i I think it's a little bit of both but i am leaning more towards, at least recently, I'm leaning more towards that there is a system element to it. Um, one thing that, that does stand out to me is, uh, you know, on, on Corsica, they, they track um, shot distances, and the Flyers have the furthest average shot distance of 5-on-5. Five five. They're at about 35 feet on average, and that's in comparison to compared to, say, the Rangers in Pittsburgh, who are below, or under 30 in terms of average shot distance. And um, one thing I've noticed, and this, you know, kind of piggybacks off of the great work that uh that ryan Stimson does um you know, over at hockey graphs mm-hmm. um with his uh, with his passing project the flyers do in the offensive zone they, they use a lot of uh, of low to high um offensive zone structure um generating a lot of point shots from the defenseman and and looking for deflections looking for rebounds um and to a degree you know it makes sense that when you have guys like Shane Goss Bear, and, and Ivan Proverov and, and even Rad Kogutis who is we I think we might talk about later is mm-hmm. such an interesting player to break down. Um, you know, you have guys that you, you probably want them to, to shoot a lot because they have, you know, very good shots. But at the same time I think there's there there there's a tactical desire on the part of, of the coaching staff and the players, I believe to, uh, to generate high danger chances by collecting rebounds and deflections and not by trying to actually pass the puck into the high slot and generate chances like that or, or play a behind the net game and, and try to, uh, fool goalies like that, which is something I think the Sharks do really well. Um, I'm, I'm iffy on whether it's a great strategy. Um, Ryan has done a lot of work on, uh, Offensive zone tactics and how they how they affect shooting percentages. And I believe like a low to high strategy tends to generate around like a four percent shooting percentage, whereas um, shots that originate from passes that occurred from below the red line are over twelve percent. Right. Um, so that could potentially be uh, be affecting the fact that the Flyers don't necessarily shoot at at as good of a rate at five on five as as you would expect. So I do think there's a system element to it. At the same time. You know, you're probably going to see more bounces go the Flyers' way because when you're taking a lot of shots from the point, essentially the way you're generating scoring chances is by getting good bounces. You're right. getting you know, bounces off a goalie, a rebound pops out on the slot, you, you get a good chance that way, or a deflection turns into a goal, and then a point shot becomes a shot from the slot because of the deflection. So in a, in a sense, I think it'll regress to a degree, but there is definitely a system element to to why the Flyers, I believe, are, are going to, underperform you know maybe their expected goals or their or their uh their overall shot attempts um, just because of kind of the shots they're taking
1: yeah yeah i mean for the year they're roughly around 48 percent expected goals but their actual goals are are down down at 43 and i think it makes you know a lot of sense obviously you look at it it's like well it's pretty eye-popping that they're in the same sort of roughly territory as the Avs and the coyotes and compared to everyone else but it's like it's very tough in today's NHL to win if you're not getting at least a certain baseline level of goaltending and just the the difference between what they were getting even as recently as last year compared to this year is is kind of is startling right I mean Steve Mason for for roughly three plus years there now now was you know kind of one of these one of our darlings in terms of goalies that always had these you know good five on five numbers maybe the the total package wasn't necessarily adding up but you kind of ex- expected him to to be at least a roughly league average maybe slightly above guy but he's completely fallen off this year as has michael neubert at the same time and i don't i just don't know how to explain it other than just you know sometimes this just stuff just kind of happens with goalies but i mean i don't think that a lot of flyers fans are going to take that you know and just be like okay well whatever it's going to even out over time when you constantly are giving up so many goals and losing these games like i imagine that it kind of gets frustrated trading for fans exactly and and
0: i think mason's mason's regression this year has been the biggest surprise um you know for more analytically oriented flyers fans because you know, people had kind of come to expect at least um a level of i, I wouldn't even say competence but he was uh, truly an above average goalie and, mm. and he, even his his years where he wasn't wasn't Border, bordering on elite, he was still very good and it was mostly some some poor metrics on the penalty kill that dragged him into the you know, the mid nine tens in terms of overall save percentage. So everybody kinda came into this year thinking that the Flyers goaltending was, was really a strength. And the thought process was well, if you know maybe if Mason has a bad year then well they have Neuvert and Neuvert at the very least is, is an above average uh, backup and probably is closer to like a league average type starter. And they've just run into a situation where they're both having really bad years. And you're absolutely right in that we, we have our our broad street hockey radio podcast weekly. And every week we kind of go on and say, look, Mason isn't playing well, but you look at his, his numbers over the last three years. And most likely he's going to play more like that goalie than the one that he's shown so far this year. But now you're into late January and he's still playing like the goalie that he was in Columbus. And, it's so hard to explain because you know goalies are weird. Sometimes they just have bad years. And is this Mason's bad year? Is it because um, this is the the second season away from Jeff Reese, who basically you know revitalized his career um, when when he came to Philly? And maybe you know, maybe this is a situation where Reese just knew how to how to fix Mason when he was going through. Uh, tough stretches, and now that Reese is gone, Mason kind of, you know, just those bad periods turn into, you know, bad weeks and bad months. I don't know. And and that's the thing with goalies. You're always just kind of, you know, throwing darts with a blindfold on. You just don't know why things happen. You just sort of... Wait and see if things are going to turn. And the Flyers need Mason to play better because yeah. if, if if the Flyers keep driving play, that's great. And if the Flyers keep having a great power play, that that's great. And it it's building the foundation for for a strong second half of the year. But if they're getting ninety percent goaltending the rest of the way, I I don't think this is a
1: playoff team. Yeah, from from my personal experience in this industry, uh, when you tell people I don't know as an, as an answer to a question, generally they don't uh, take too kindly to that. But I mean, sometimes it's, yeah. sometimes it's the truth, right? I'd be very disingenuous. Just for us to be like, oh well, there's these two to three obvious reasons for why Mason's struggling this year and how he can improve. It's like sometimes this stuff is just kind of weird, especially at that position. And I don't know. It's like this is just you know narrative heaven for people. I mean, you can bring up the fact that it's a contract year for him, and then I've kind of lost track of if that's supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it kind of it's all over the place. Like it's just it's it's so bizarre. I mean, like listen, the 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 fact of the matter is that I kind of looked at it and you know, they've given up 150 goals against this year, and that's the fifth most in the league, and if they were stopping the puck at the rate they were stopping it at last year on average, that would go all the way down to 116, and that'd be the fourth fewest, so I mean, that's just like, a, it just kind of goes to show you for some sort of context just how big of a difference it is. I mean, all of a sudden, if you're just taking 30-some-odd goals off the table from them, like, I'd imagine that all of their, you know, goals for rates, expected goals for rates, just every, how they'd look in all of these metrics would look so much better, and they'd be jumping up the standings, so and and it's just one of these things where hopefully it kind of evens out and he cuts back to that three-year average we saw from him. But I, at this point, I'm I kind of just throwing my hands up like you and just kind of playing a wait-and-see game, I guess.
0: Yeah, and you just you have to assume if if you're a flyer you have to hope and assume that Mason will play better. You have to assume that he isn't turning back into the goalie he was in Columbus, but as as I said, you just you don't know. All you can really do is hope or you hope that that Neuvert gets on a hot streak like he did in the first half of last year and maybe he can can take the job. It, that with goaltending, you just all you can do is put guys on, on, the, you know, on the ice who have performed well in the past and, and hope they can sustain it. And then obviously hope that you, know, you have you know, goalie coaches and they're getting direction that, that fits their skill set. But that's not something that you know, we on the outside really have access to.
1: yeah um, So where are we at with, with Dave Haxtall? Because we're at a year and a half or so now in terms of information with him, with systems and sort of his preferences and tendencies as a coach behind the bench. And you know, everything I heard and read about him when the team hired him was glowing. And I'm on the record as you know, being all in favor of hiring NCAA and AHL guys and giving them a chance as NHL coaches, rather than just sort of recycling the same old retreads over and over again, because we kind of know what what they're going to do and how they're going to behave as the coaches. Let's see if we can do something better uh, with these vacancies. But I don't know, I think just like with any other coach, there's certain stuff I've liked, but then there's also some kind of obvious things that have left me a little bit perplexed in terms of why, like some of, some of his personnel decisions with his bottom six and how he's been handling the blue line, like, where are you at with him? Is it mostly positive or is it kind of a mixed bag?
0: I think that the shine has definitely worn off a bit this year. I'm certainly nowhere near the point where I'm calling for his ouster. Um, you know, for for no other reason than the Flyers have made a lot of coaching changes recently, and there's no reason to give up on a guy who you know probably overachieved a little bit last season based on the talent he had, especially on the blue line. Um, at the same time, you're right. You, you're right that the, the personnel. Um, the personnel decisions this year have been have been odd to, to say the least um, you had an extended period in the uh, in the first half of the year where um, he seemingly was fixated on the idea that Pierre-Edouard Belmar was a third line center um, and then after uh, Sean Gatturi went down there was even a stretch for Pierre-Edouard Belmar was the second line center which um, it was one of the more amusing things in my opinion of the season watching Pierre-Edouard Belmar um, do his darndest to try to shut down Connor mcdavid in a, in a game um in, in november <laughs> i think it was in december but actually you know mcdavid didn't, didn't score even strength point but it was just funny watching them try to you know try to shut down maybe the best or the second best player in the world right now um and then you get down to you know something like andrew mcdonald where andrew mcdonald not only is is playing every every night but He's also getting you know either top pair second pair five on five minutes, and this is a guy who um, you know over the past four seasons, five seasons he's been one of the worst play driving defensemen in the NHL and you could you could forgive it to a degree if he was being used as like a number six defenseman when he plays because I'm not convinced that Nick Schultz is any better than Andrew McDonald um, and, right. and when your dad when you have seven defensemen and there are two of them, you got to play one of them uh, but it's more just the role he's been given, and he's been given a very prominent role. He's been paired with with Ivan Provorov for the past month and a half, and their their metrics together are not good from a from a shot attempt standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think they they've broken even from from goals, um, which may be the reason why they're still together. Um, but uh, but from a shot attempt standpoint, it hasn't been pretty. And that the pair just, just stays together and McDonald's still getting getting put out on the ice and yeah, fans watch that and they get frustrated. They get frustrated when they see a guy like McDonald out there. They get frustrated when, you know, Chris Vandevelde is consistently on the team and gets nightly starts despite the fact that he's probably not that great of an NHL player. And then you have people bring up, Well, he he was and a North Dakota guy, and that's the only reason why he plays. And who knows if that's the reason or not, but it's something that fans certainly can latch onto. So there, there have been a lot of things that, that people have. I've gotten frustrated with, and that's not even bringing up the scratches. You know, you've seen Haxall go to this well of scratching guys like Shane Gossesbear and, and Travis Kanekny, and uh, even Michael Roffle for a game, and that gets on fans' nerves because even though you could argue it's it's a teaching moment, you're you're in a playoff race and you're you're intentionally putting a weaker team on the ice. So yeah, there's there's reasons for 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 fans to be frustrated. I, I totally understand that. At the same time. The system seems solid. I especially like what they do in the neutral zone. It's a very aggressive, very aggressive system. They force a lot of dump-ins, break up a lot of plays before they begin. And Haxall's preached that from day one. So there's positives and negatives, and I think we'll have a much clearer view of of Haxall after the season because this team really should be a playoff team considering the uh, you know the additions of Proveroff and Konechny, um the development of guys like Gossis, Bear, the development he should be having. Mm-hmm. So I I, I, I think. It's probably premature to make any, you know, real, um, determinations on whether he's been a success or a failure yet. He was definitely a success last year and it will, I think it's probably best to reevaluate after the year's done to, to know kind of where he stands.
1: Yeah, the, the, the McDonald one is just a real head scratcher to me because, you know, this is the second consecutive year where he's basically just attached Andy McDonald as an anchor to, to his promising young rookie defenseman. It was, it was very last year and, and, Provorov this year. And I, I noticed like it's kind of. It's unfair to Provorov to evaluate him just looking at his full season stats because he's up over fifty two percent uh in four hundred or so minutes without McDonald, and he's down to like forty six percent with him. So he's just you know he's really kind of paying that McDonald ta- tax at this point. But like the the curious thing to me is, I mean, you mentioned sort of that aggressive neutral zone play and how they break a lot of stuff up before it even generates and and i do notice that when i watch their games you know their blue line is is very aggressive and, and and mobile and active in terms of how they approach defending their own blue line and mcdonald is basically the exact opposite i mean everyone it's kind of a running joke everyone sort of knows about the andy mcdonald zone by now where he gives a guy just free access into into the attacking attacking end and it just seems weird like with all the other blue line options they have there i think that's definitely one of the strengths of his team that they would keep going back to any mcdonald even though there's just better options like i just don't really see what he sees in him considering that he's so different than pretty much all of the other guys that are that are just better than him
0: it doesn't make a lot of sense and that's where people start to question you know what is he thinking because you 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 want to understand why a guy like mcdonald would seemingly end up in his coach's good graces um because you're absolutely right, he doesn't seem to fit with the mentality that the uh, that the rest of the defensemen clearly, um, you know, clearly take on under under Haxtell. But for whatever reason, McDonald has just turned into a guy who is seemingly locked into the lineup. And th- th- that's not to say that the Flyers' defense is is very good. Like mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, the Flyers have three defensemen right now who you can envision playing uh, you know a major role on the next you know. Theoretical championship contending flyers team. You have Provarov, bear and Goudis. Mm-hmm. Past those three, you know, you really have a bunch of a bunch of third pair guys. You know, Mark Streit's probably the best of the bunch, but he's clearly lost a step. Brandon Manning's a third pair talent. Michael Delzado is just too inconsistent to be anything more than a third pair guy right now. And then you have Schultz and McDonald. Like you don't have a great defense, but McDonald has seemingly like slid into that spot as kind of like the fourth most important defenseman overall in terms mm-hmm. of overall time on ice. Yep. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me when he doesn't seem to fit anything that the the tactics and the overall mentality, especially in the neutral zone, kind of, you know, seem to fit. I, I, I don't get it, but he keeps doing it. So we just kind of keep watching and, and seeing if anything's going to change.
1: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Gudas amongst that list of uh, the future Flyers defense corps because I, I, I think that's – you know, for people to watch him closely and kind of remove all the other shenanigans that we don't like about his game, like you can kind of tell that he's a very effective NHL defenseman. I mean, he's very aggressive. He's almost impossible to carry the puck in against. He generates a lot of shots. Like he's he's very good. He's very reliable in his own zone. He. It's funny because you know he he does all of these kind of things that old school types might like from their defenseman, where he's you know he's hard hitting. He's physical. He he blocks shots. He does all this stuff. But it actually. Does does manifest itself in, in the numbers where you know we can actually kind of quantify what he's doing and point to it and say that yeah he actually is making a difference it's not just all of this sort of intangible mumbo jumbo so i just think that you know it, with him it's always going to be people are going to point to um you know the, the questionable hits and some of the head hunting he's done in the past and stuff like that and and you'd like him to rein that in a little bit because once he actually does walk that fine line he's actually remarkably effective
0: yeah and and no one you know no no rational flyers fan is defending you know some of the really bad hits he uh he made last year, especially in February he kind of lost his mind for like a two and a half week period and he had like three or four hits that probably could have been suspendable mm-hmm. um it was it was pretty ridiculous and then even in preseason this year he had two hits, one of which he was eventually suspended um suspended for that you you just, you're watching him and you're thinking like Okay, why are you doing this in preseason? It, this doesn't make any sense. But to is credit, he has toned it down a bit. He hasn't um, he hasn't been suspended since the season has started. He probably got a talking to from the front office again after the preseason suspension. Um, but he's just taking away, from, you know, putting aside the the hits for a second. He's, he's such a fascinating player to analyze, um, just because as you kind of hinted, his skill set doesn't seem to to fit what we've kind of you know the analytics community kind of has as the ideal defenseman you know the the eric carlson the pk suban type and neither do his microstats um like i'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of all the work that cory does with his tracking and this isn't a guy who generates a lot of a lot of controlled exits and this isn't a guy who in one-on-one rush coverage um forces a lot of dump ins but it's, it's other things that, that make him effective and make him really effective. Like the one thing I noticed the most is, is while he's not that great in one-on-one coverage in the neutral zone, he's fantastic at just breaking up plays before they begin. Like he'll, he'll cut off passes um, that, you know, intended for, you know, a guy who seems open, cut him off and then send it right back in the offensive zone. Or, um, you know, when a team tries to, uh, you know, tries to dump the puck out on an uncontrolled exit and catch up to the puck, like, like Montreal under, under Mr. Terrian does a lot. Gudis is the guy who, who retrieves the puck, you know, fights off the guy chasing after it and then passes it to a forward who gets the puck back in. Like the Flyers own the neutral zone with Radko Gudis on the ice and he does it by not, he doesn't generate controlled exits. He doesn't, you know, break up a ton of rushes one on one, but he just does it by being smart and having great reads, and the result is is really fantastic possession numbers. Like I I'm, I'm I marvel whenever I look at them. Like over the past two years, if you're looking at a. Uh of uh, course, he's a relative teammate from uh, from Hockey Analysis. Like, he's the sixth best defenseman of of any defenseman in the NHL over the past two years with over a thousand minutes of five on five, and that's like right behind Victor Hedman and, and right ahead of um, right ahead of uh, Eric Carlson, which yep. is is insane because yep. <laughs> Trekkagudis like you don't think of him as a as a play driver, but but he is. And the only real hole in his game, in my opinion, is that he he still does take too many penalties, yep. um, even when he. He's not even when he's not making dirty hits. You know, he's still taking minors, and that hurts the team. And that probably keeps him from being a true first pair defenseman. But I don't see any reason why he he can't be a, a second pair defenseman on a good team as long as he, he keeps his head. Um, and he's a right handed shot, which obviously is is something that you know a lot of teams need. If your name, if your team isn't the the St. Louis Blues or the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Yeah. No, with him, it's all about sort of, I don't know if moderation is necessarily the right word, but sort of just being in control where, like, you know, I definitely have noticed what you were talking about where he he kind of reads the play and breaks it up before it even has a chance to fully develop. But then sometimes he can get a little bit carried away and maybe kind of take himself out of the play if he's going too hard for a hit or something like that. So sometimes if he, if he kind of notches it, takes a notch down a little bit, he becomes much more effective. But listen, I'm a huge fan of his game, and I, I still believe, like, if they really wanted to do something special, if they put him and Provorov on a pairing together right now, it would just, I feel like that, it's such an interesting combination of skill sets between the two that I feel like they would just pretty much eliminate anything the other team's offense was trying to do, like just with Provorov's sort of instinctual gifts and his, his, his talent and his speed, and then all of the things we mentioned about Gudas. like that just seems like, I just, you know, as sort of a little bit of a chemistry experiment or something like that, I'd love to see it kind of take place on the ice.
0: Yeah, they, they tried it briefly, like right before Proveroff got placed with McDonald. Mm-hmm. They uh they tried the Goodus Proveroff pair and it didn't look amazing, but I think they only gave it like one maybe a game, two games at most. Yeah. And and you'd think that Two guys that, that, that seem to be as talented and Proveroff seems really talented. Um, you know, by the eye test he passes with flying colors and then Gudis has the numbers and it, it makes sense as a you know, as a lefty righty pair and they both seem to drive play, although it's it's so tough it's so tough with Provorov now because as you mentioned, you can't really isolate it's hard to isolate him from the McDonald effect, like the same thing kind of happened last year with with Gosses Bear, where his his play driving numbers did not look very good at the end of the year, and there was kind of a um, you know an an upswell from from some people in the analytics community like Gosses Bear isn't that good, and you know. It, 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 it's it's fair to say that his possession numbers weren't fantastic, but so much of that was due to um, you know the time he spent with McDonald and same thing's kinda happen to Proveroff and um whereas Gosses Bear this year, the possession numbers have, have went through the roof, but now there's there's other issues with his game that uh, that have, you know, a lot of people in Philadelphia kind of in an uproar.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I'm a huge Proveroff fan. I mean every time I watch him play it's just it's one of those things where he might not necessarily always be like the flashiest guy or he might not do it in the most obvious Ways, but just some of the ways he like eludes four checks or gets it out of his zone cleanly, or or, or just, just little little things like that that just kind of you know make you think that he's going to be special once he gets you know a real partner and gets a chance to shine. But I'm glad you brought up Gossage Saber because it's sort of the the elephant in the room here, where you know he's been kind of yo-yoed around by being healthy scratched, and people are up in arms about. Uh, his, his play and all that. And I just look at, you know, I haven't watched him every single game and I'm not necessarily keying in on him and his defensive zone coverages, but just by the, the numbers, I mean it seems pretty clear that it is one of those things where he had really good save percentage behind him last year. And a lot of pucks were going in when he was on the ice for the flyers. And those two things have come down this season. And of course, once you start kind of having poor fortune that way, people are all of a sudden going to start uh, complaining about how you're on the ice for too many goals against and stuff like that, regardless of whether it's, it's uh in your, in your own doing, like it's just, is it just as simple as that where he's just been kind of tortured by the percentages and people are just getting angry about it for all the wrong reasons?
0: I, I think it's mostly that, um, as usual. You know, when it comes to these sort of narratives, like there, there is some truth to it. You know, bear has regressed a bit in terms of defensive zone coverage. Um, he has blown some coverages, and some goals have been his fault, and that's that's undeniable. It's not that he's had a perfect season by any means, but. He, the luck has just been unbelievably bad, and it's it's ridiculous because, as you mentioned, like his advanced metrics, his play driving metrics are, are so good. Um, you know, he's he's over fifty four percent score adjusted Corsi, plus I think four point six percent Corsi Rel, and, and everything looks looks great. Even expected goals, he's I think he's he's over plus four relative to his teammates there. So if you're if you're arguing that well he's winning the, the raw attempts battle, but the shot quality battle he's losing, no, he's he's still outperforming his teammates there. As well it's just the the percentages this year like he he's the, as you mentioned with the goals he's been on the ice he has a 33% goals for percentage which is obviously awful and it's obviously what is catching the eye of his coaching staff and whatnot. But the Flyers are shooting four point six percent with him on the ice yeah. and that's obviously really, really low. Um when I, when I uh, when I went on the uh, Comcast uh, sports night last week I noted that um the Flyers have scored on ten percent of their shots with Nick Schultz on the ice and I don't think any reasonable person would say that, you know, Nick Schultz has this magical ability to make the forward score more when he's on the ice. Yeah. Um and it just it's a way kinda to say like look Gossis Bear is not going to keep holding an all ice shooting percentage of of the mid fours. It's just not his his true talent, and it kind of in, in a way it's sort of making up for last year when everything went his way. You know, last year he shot eleven percent uh, with a personal shooting percentage, and you know people who thought he was going to keep doing that, like defensemen don't shoot eleven percent. They just don't because they take a lot of their shots from the point and those shots don't usually go in. But yep. at the same time, you look at the shot that he has, he has a, a blistering slap shot. He's not going to keep shooting three and a half percent. There's, there's going to be some sort of course correction here. And I just, I really hope that the flyers don't, um, don't discourage the way he plays because of the percentage not going his way for a while. Like he's an effective defenseman and he will put up, positive results if he keeps playing like he's playing i just don't want them to change him because he is what he is what he is and yeah you probably don't want him on your first pair facing off against Sidney crosby with a minute left protecting a one goal lead but as your number three defenseman who gets sheltered a little bit and you know gets to rack up the points and is dominant on the power play yeah he's he's great and and Really, you know, every team could use that kind of guy, and I think he's he could be a really effective defenseman for the future. I just hope the Flyers don't start trying to screw him up because of the stretch of bad luck.
1: Yeah, that'd be a bummer. Um, okay, well, one final thing before we let you go. Um, I noticed that I don't know how recently they've done this or they've been doing it for a while, but they sort of are spreading the wealth up front in terms of, you know, they, they have Giroux on one line, they have Warjuk on another, and they have Simmons now on the third line with, with Konechny and Braden Shedden. Do you think that that is sort of the best uh, configuration in terms of trying to roll those three lines that can all uh, do a little bit of something and, and contribute offense and then maybe just, you know, kind of phase out the fourth line or at least play them as little as possible? Or do you think that they're still better off loading up a, a top line and, and then kind of going that way and having kind of Sean Couturier just fend for himself basically?
0: Um I it, it's it's so sort of tough to say with line combinations just because you kinda just, you know, try stuff and hope it works. Um I have no problem with them splitting up Giroux and Voracek, uh just because I, I do believe that um that having that balance and, you know, giving Katuri a weapon like Voracek, you know, helps him in his ability to score, uh which is important for a team that really hasn't scored much of five on five. Um Simmons on the third line is something I'm I'm less enthused about, uh, just because that unit they they've been using a unit of um, of Braden Shen with Wayne Simmons, Braden Shen as a center, and then Connectney's um, been down there as well, Travis Connectney. Um, it's it, it's so hard to put a guy like Simmons with a guy like like Shen because to me Shen is not he really shouldn't be a center. He spent most of last year on the left wing with Giroux. They basically just turned him into a center this year, I, I think, because they didn't have much of a choice. The, the the Belmar 3C experiment predictably was a disaster because Belmar never scores a 5-on-5. Five five. Um, so they just put Shen there, and... You have Shen with Simmons. you have two guys who you know Shen, who probably is a slight negative in terms of overall possession from a true talent standpoint, and then um Simmons, who is a slight positive but he's not a true play driver and you put those two guys together, and I think you're 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 begging for a lot of time spent in the defensive zone um I'd be more apt to uh, to have Simmons up with Giroux and Raffle long term um, because I feel like Simmons can can provide that that net front presence along with Raffle and let Giroux kind of find them in the slot. Ideally, um, then you have Voracek with with Couturier, um and then have Shen, who in my mind is as long as he's a center, I think he's going to struggle to drive play as he's done most of this year. So I'd want to almost just put him with guys who can drive play like a Matt Reed, um, to get him in the offensive zone and then turn Shen sort of into the score. But it, it's so hard with line combinations. You just kind of, you know, you hope things work. Um, there's obviously the, the point of you know styles and whatnot, um, but I don't have a problem with them splitting the guys up. I, I don't think they've necessarily found the, the perfect combos yet. But let me put it this way: they're a lot closer now than they were when when Belmar was getting you know second line or third line center minutes. <laughs>
1: and I, re- I really hope Edward Belmar isn't listening to this podcast. He's going to be pretty pretty upset. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and, and Belmar's a he's a fun guy to watch. Like he's not a useless player by any means, but. I think uh, I think uh, Travis Yost actually posted this a few weeks ago. Like he's been one of the worst five-on-five scorers in in hockey at, at forward ever since he was brought to the NHL. And as a as a fourth liner, as a penalty killer, like that, that that's okay. He just he's not a guy you don't you want playing up in the lineup. Um, even though he's he's a speedy guy and you know, he's decently defensively responsible, it's just that he was getting played you know in a spot way above his his talent level, and the Flyers suffered for it. I think in the early part of the year
1: you know what's hilarious like i totally recognize that and it's all true but it just makes that random play uh it was like earlier in the year where he was in the neutral zone and he like like a little flick of the wrist to like do like a saucer pass over to i think it was matt reed or someone like that it was like one of the greatest offensive plays i think i've ever seen and you know there's a high possibility that it was just like a random fluke and maybe the puck was on edge and it just worked out perfectly for him or it was like a little bit of an optical illusion but for anyone that's seen that clip it's just like it's a total mind bender i've watched it at least like a hundred times and i still can't really figure out how he managed to do it
0: yeah he's he's a likable player and he's you know he's got speed to burn he's a he's a fast guy he's a really good four checker it's and it's funny even the um the primary shot contribution numbers that uh that, that ryan tracks with the passing project and now Corey's tracking like more grades out pretty well he he creates shots and you know get shot assists it's just for some reason the shots he creates never go in the net and whether that's partially bad luck or whether that's partially just you know they're not generating quality shots i'm i'm not quite sure um but for whatever reason the flyers were were very certain in the early part of the year that he could play up in the lineup and recently they've they've accepted that okay he's like a six to seven minute a game uh five on five type of guy and then you use him on the penalty kill which is is what he should be as long as he's on the flyers
1: Yeah, well, the Brayden Shen thing is fascinating to me because I know it's kind of caught your eye as well, and you've written it at length about it, and I recommend that everyone goes and checks that out. But, you know, basically, like, it's one of these things where, at least last time I checked, no one's played a greater percentage of of their minutes on the power play this year than he has. And, you know, he has, like, oh, what, 11 of his 15 goals are on the power play, 18 of his 32 points. Like, he's basically... A power play specialist, and, and that's great, and that's that's very valuable in today's NHL. But the problem is that you know he's making north of five million dollars, so they're sort of attached to this idea that he's going to be more than that. Whereas like if they just had the luxury of of using him, like Columbus uses Sam Gagne for example, where you're not relying on him much at, four, at five on five, but then he's just terrorizing the other teams at, on on the power play. Like that would be so much better for them as, as as an entire operation. But I guess you know when when you're that committed to him financially and just sort of the the ideal of him as sort of this guy that came in with a lot of pedigree and was a prospect and you know he was part of that big trade to get him like it's just one of these things that i guess they're just gonna have to live with
0: yeah and, and to shen's credit like this year he has been really bad at five on five but he hasn't been this bad in past years. Like this does seem like something of a down year in terms of five on five performance. Um, last year he was, he was solidly like a second line left winger in terms of play driving and in terms of five on five scoring. And, um, and this year, you know, he's scoring. That's the bizarre thing about Braden Shen this year. It's like, he's still on pace for over 50 points. It's just that it's all coming either on the power play or with an empty net or a three on three. And it, on one hand, like, you can't get too angry about paying a guy $5 million a year to score 50 points, regardless of how he gets it. Like he is helping the team win. It's just that at five on five, he's been a he's been a disaster and you're absolutely right. It would be nice if the Flyers could use him as a, as a fourth line guy. Um, unfortunately, they don't have the, the forward depth uh, that that Columbus does where, you know, Columbus can have a Sam Gagne on the fourth line and still roll three other lines that, you know, that can drive play and they can score. And that, that I guess was probably the, uh, the main reason why a lot of people underrated Columbus. I think we all just sort of overlooked, like they have a lot of really useful forwards and most teams don't, most teams don't have the ability to roll four lines full of, you know, 11, 10, 11 useful forwards. And, um, it would be nice to use Brayden Shen as a fourth line guy, at least in the short term. You know, wait till he he gets back going at five on five. But unfortunately, you know, if it's if I have a choice between using Brayden Shen at three C and using Belmore and not to, you know, <laughs> belabor the Belmar <laughs> point, but I'm 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 gonna pick Brayden Shen. Yes. Like he has he's shown the ability to be better at five on five than what he's been this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. So to to sum things up, kind of a takeaway. Um, I think you know there's there's a lot of reason to be Pretty optimistic about this team. I mean, just beyond even this year. I mean, if you just compare sort of where they're at now compared to where they've been in the past, like I think that Hextall deserves a lot of credit for you know getting him out of that financial hell, accumulating all these top top flight young assets in the draft and via trade, and all of a sudden you look now. I mean, I it feels like when we were watching the the World Junior Championships a, a few weeks back, like every 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 couple of minutes, all of a sudden some random uh, Flyers prospect was doing something amazing. So it's like it's it's pretty clear that you know the cupboard stock there's a, a positive future here to look forward to and it probably is a playoff team this season so i think that you know it's kind of tough to be too upset with what's going on in philly
0: yeah, and, and in all honesty, if they can continue, if they can continue their strong underlying play um, that they've they've started in January, I, I do think this is a playoff team. As we mentioned, the goaltending is is a question. Which it's Philadelphia. We we had a reprieve the past few years from from the usual. Oh my God, the goaltending in Philadelphia, but seems to be back this year. Um, that to me is gonna is gonna decide it. But yeah, they they have a they have a good core. Um, the forwards are solid, and then the defense. Well, it's limited now. You have guys like Travis San. Who are, are starting to play really well in the AHL? Uh, Phil Myers, who was great in the World Juniors before uh, you know, before he got concussed uh, by Luke Conan. Um Sam Moran, who, well, maybe isn't. What they hoped he was going to be at the, uh, you know, as an, a, a first half of the first round, uh, type of pick. Um, he's looking like he can at least be a, a semi useful, you know, guy on the third pair and maybe more than that if he, if he continues to develop. Like they have guys coming and, and that's, it, it's a, it's a fun time to be a Flyers fan, but, um, at the same time, don't, don't tell fans that right now considering how poorly they've been playing over the past month.
1: <laughs> All right. I won't, uh, Charlie, where can, uh, where can people find you online, find your work and, uh, check you out?
0: Sure. So, um, so my handle is, uh, BSH underscore Charlie. Um, the vast majority of my work is, uh, is on broadstreethockey.com. Um, I am a contributor to hockey graphs. I haven't written an article yet, but I plan to in the near future. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the bulk of my work would be at uh, a broad street hockey where I, I cover the team on a daily basis.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I highly recommend checking that out and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on as the, uh, as the year goes along here. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me Dimitri. Absolutely. chat soon man. The Hockey Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.